Hey everyone, welcome to the Doctors Podcast with Travis Stork, episode three. Today, I want to talk with someone that I have a lot of respect for. His name is Dr. Brad Spellberg. He is an infectious disease specialist and the chief medical officer at LA County University of Southern California Medical Center. And in today's episode, I just want to emphasize again, he and I are just giving our opinions, our thoughts. There are way too many unknowns with this virus and with life in general right now for anyone to predict with a crystal ball what will happen. Anyone who tries to predict and tells you they know the future is full of S-H-I-T, but let's control what we can control. Let's be optimistic. Let's no longer feel powerless here because we sometimes need to remind ourselves this is a virus and a virus is not as smart as we are if we use the tools that we have, our big brains, and start to outsmart it, but we need us all collectively as a society to do so, and we talk about that in today's podcast because, again, no one can tell the future, but when you think back to, to massive pandemics that killed so many millions back to the Spanish flu, what they didn't have is, is right now massive technology, things that we can turn around so much more quickly. And so today's podcast, we're focusing on solutions. We can't change the past. Testing was so delayed in this country. It makes me, I, I, it's still to this moment, it hurts my heart that people still can't get a test in many areas of the country. Oh, I just wish we could change that, but we can't. But what we can do is potentially stem the tide here so that Right now, all the uncertainty is when do we get to go back to school or work? When are restaurants going to open up? Small business owners wondering, am I going to go under because society is going to be shut down for three months or four months? Am I going to be able to get a hospital bed if I need one or a ventilator? All of these questions are so valid. The answers are uncertain, but what is not uncertain is if we take collective action now, if we are steadfast as a country and the world is in this together, we can stem the tide here. And that's why today's episode is very optimistic. We're going to acknowledge the unknowns, but the opinions and thoughts of Dr. Spellberg and myself really are, if we, we've just got to be a little bit more of the mindset, let's keep this as short-term pain to prevent a long-term disaster and long-term pain health-wise, financially. And I, I think that needs to be the focus now. No need to be in hysteria because it's really important for people to remember, this is not Ebola. This is not a virus that if you get it, you're likely to die. Most people actually are doing great with it. In fact, that's one of the kind of problems with the virus is we estimate that 80% of new infections are coming from undetected sources. So it's the, the people who are out there who don't really know they have it. Uh, usually these are the younger individuals who, whether they're kids or millennials. So be aware of that. But if we just took two weeks and for two weeks, we religiously socially distance ourselves. We wash our hands religiously. We do not touch our eyes, nose, mouth. If we all do this together for two weeks, we can stem the tide of this uptick on the curve. That also then just gives us two weeks to ramp up testing across the country so that in two weeks, if we do this religiously and we all come, come out of our collective doors, 
and the weather is getting warmer. So we've got that to our advantage. How much of an advantage? We don't know. But hey, I'm willing to bet it, bet it is going to be an advantage. A typical coronavirus that would cause a common cold in the upper respiratory tract, it is in many ways seasonal. So there's no reason to believe that there can't be some benefit from uh, springtime and warmer temperatures and the fact that we're not all going to be um, in mass cooped up indoors. There, there is a seasonality to these things. It's not going to go away at all. Should still be incredibly concerned. If we don't act, there could be some really tough times ahead, not only for individuals who are infected, but for those individuals who are affected economically. So enjoy this podcast. I I, I think during a time where hysteria is, is ruling the day, both economically, the headlines, uh, the fear level is at a 10 for many people. Now, granted, there's still a lot of people out there whose fear level is, is below a one. And I, I think our fear level can be somewhere in the middle there where we can go uh, about our lives with the social distancing. Um, it doesn't mean though, and this is really important because the majority of people who get this virus do quite well. We don't have to be hysterical about it. And we can, if we're smart about this, I think collectively feel a little bit better about the future. I, I think we're going to look back six months from now and the virus will still be around. But if we take action now, I, I see a brighter future ahead. And it could be sooner rather than later if we are steadfast, we act appropriately and quickly, and we deploy all the research, resources at our disposal as a country. Uh, I think we've been tiptoeing a little bit. I think it's time now to rush ahead, be aggressive, outsmart this virus. But right now, this is something we need to take seriously. But don't forget, when people are talking all doomsday, there's hope. If we take action collectively, that hope will feel closer than ever. Enjoy the podcast. Dr. Spellberg, an honor and a privilege to have you on talking about something that... Um, obviously is on the minds of everyone. And I want to be optimistic today. And I want to talk about solutions and not look too much into the past other than um, maybe to ask you out of the gate. When you look at countries like Italy versus South Korea, South Korea has had a, a really good response, very low mortality rate. And I know they have a younger population, but they instituted really early screening and testing. And the virus isn't uh, causing the chaos in their, in their country like other countries Italy and our country now included, are we, is it too late for us to follow the, I'll call it the South Korea model to prevent this from getting out of hand? Uh, that's a great question, Travis. Let me start by saying two things and then I'll try to answer the very specific question you've asked. Um, the world is not ending. It is not time for panic. In fact, panic is the opposite of good here. Hysteria is the opposite of good here. This virus is just a piece of nucleic acid with a lipid around it. It's not smart. It has no brain. For it to spread, it requires to panic us. If it succeeds in panicking us, it will continue to spread. If we fall back on what we know we can do to stop transmission, 
which is the basics, hand washing, using appropriate protective equipment in medical environments, and social distancing. It will not be able to sustain transmission. We can outsmart this virus because we have brains and it doesn't. But the point is panic is the enemy. You know, if we lose control of our senses because we're afraid, the virus wins. The flip side is point number two. We need to be very respectful. This virus is not seasonal influenza. We don't know very much about this virus. Certainly it is true, as you point out, that it seems to be able to transmit even from asymptomatic people, which is why you should always practice social distancing at this moment, not just when you're around sick people, but always. Um, and that does make it harder to interrupt transmission, for sure. So the point is, the world is not ending. The time is not right for hysteria, but the time is right for being appropriately very concerned and appropriately universally always remembering to wash our hands. Remember, this is spread by droplets. Stay out of the droplet splash zone. Keep a hygienic environment around you and social distancing. And, and I've been preaching that, but just a, a quick interruption only because what I've found is depending upon where you are in the country right now, you're either panicking or quite honestly, up until probably a few days ago, uh, where I am, the opposite. It was everyone's still out partying, business as usual. And so it was, I kept telling people, look, we've got to be somewhere in the middle here. So I love your concept of Let's be respectful, but let's not panic. So let's go back to your very specific and very important question. Is it too late? Of course, it's not too late. I mean, it's too late for us to go back in time, but the world has not ended and it is not too late for us to stop the world from ending. So, you know, we, we wish we were further ahead of it than we are, but we are starting to see locally at the state level um, you know, orders to decrease business activities, orders to stay home, non-essential personnel, don't go to work, switch work to telework as much as possible. These are important steps to help us slow the spread of the virus. I think it is very likely because it is becoming increasingly clear there is now community spread. This, this virus is no, travel is no longer the risk factor. Your risk factor is being in Los Angeles, in New York, in Iowa, wherever you are in the United States, you're at risk. There is community transmission everywhere in the United States now. And so I think it's likely we're going to continue to see escalation in public health response. That is not a sign of end of days. That is a sign of us waking up to the reality you just very accurately described, Travis. The proper response is neither panic nor blasé. It is very concern, a very appropriate level of high level of concern, but with retaining our senses. So we remember the virus cannot magically transmit. It must spread by droplets to other people's mucous membranes. If we can prevent ourselves from getting droplets on us, it cannot transmit to us. All right. So then let's, let's acknowledge that most people listening right now probably already have a healthy respect for this virus. Let's also acknowledge that right now, 
everywhere in the world is suffering economically because in, in our country and others, normal commerce has been, it's grinded to a halt. Restaurants are closed. People are out of work. People are very afraid, not just of this virus. I think in many ways right now, maybe collectively as a nation, one of our biggest fears has become what happens to us as a country and are we going to be able to put food on the table uh, for those that need it, those who are the most vulnerable, not just in health, but economically? So having said all of that, I want to, if you will with me today, be optimistic. What lessons have we learned? So we know what we can do on the individual level, social distancing, washing our hands, not touching our eyes, nose, mouth, protecting the elderly. Um, if you've been out and about, do not go hang out with grandma or grandpa or someone who has a comorbid illness. But in terms of, you know, one of the things I wanted to, to brush upon really quickly, because I, I want to focus on um, solutions, and this may be one of them. South Korea, they did a lot of screening versus just testing those who had symptoms. In America right now, we still don't have enough tests yet. It's coming online. And I'm excited about that. But what is the hope if we're able to screen more people? And I've, I've heard about maybe at-home tests. Because if we screen more people, we at least know where the hot spots are. And it feels like South Korea did a good job of that. And as we know, they are, their rates, at least for the time being, seem to be dissipating. Is that one part of the solution? Well, <clears throat> it's complicated. I do think we, there's no question we need more testing. Um, now, if you universally isolate, if you feel sick and you self-isolate at home and everyone who lives with you self-isolates at home, the test isn't going to inform that beyond what you're already doing. The power of the testing in the way that South Korea deployed it early was that if you do it at a very early stage when the number of people infected is small, you can actually ring isolate everyone. You can have your public health people identify everyone who's positive and make sure everyone who's been in contact with them is isolated as well, including people who have absolutely no symptoms. When you've reached the number of people in the United States that are likely affected at this point, it's very difficult to do that. But, Travis, but, and here's the really important part, if we escalate societal level public health measures, if we really do what, like, for example, San Francisco announced the other day of, you know, shelter in place and non-essential personnel only leaving the house, and you do that for the entire duration of at least one cycle of the um, incubation period of the virus, you could reset if you dampen down the new transmissions over a 14-day period by just keeping everybody at home, you might decrease the number of transmissions to where now you could catch up to where South Korea was. Well, but then you're but but are you arguing then for more stringent measures? Because right now it's more of a suggestion. Okay, let's take 15 days and let's socially distance ourselves, those at risk socially isolate. Um but Again, if you've seen the beach scenes in Florida, I know the governor's come out and said, this has got to stop. But if you see a beach scene in Florida right now, it is business as usual. Quickly changing, but my question for you is, do we need to be more, 
I, I do not want to use the word draconian because that's not appropriate. But because right now it's more of a voluntary social distance policy for it to actually work. And I'm talking about across the country, not just San Francisco. I'm talking about New York, Chicago, Atlanta, St. Louis, Denver. Do we all have to do it all at once across the country because we, we're still flying for this to work? Or is what we're doing now enough? Do you think that if we just, the majority of us lay low, do you think that say 15 days from now, we may be uh, getting ahead of it a little bit? So uh, I have an opinion, which we'll share in a moment, but this is my opinion only. And, and as I know, you disclaimed at the beginning and the end, this opinion doesn't reflect my employer. That's a very important point to make. I'm going to just cite the smartest person I know, which is Tony Fauci, the director of the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, who said on national TV last weekend, we need to lock everything down. You know what? I'd rather be criticized for being overly cautious while terminating this potentially once in a century event than be criticized after the fact for letting another 1918, 1919 flu pandemic occur that wipes out 100 million people. The, 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 the risk is economic, as you point out. Which economic risk is greater? Is the economic risk greater that we shut the country down for three weeks and hopefully that turns the tide so that the new transmissions fall to where we can reinstitute that ring process you're describing they did in, in South Korea, where we really truly can't isolate everyone in contact with new people, newly infected people? Or is the risk economically greater that we have 18 to 24 months of recession slash depression? I think that that's why I said earlier, I think it's likely we're going to see more stringent public health measures implemented locally at the state level and nationally. Well, again, opinions only. My opinion is that what we're doing right now in some regards feels like a waste of time, mainly because only some people are abiding by the social distancing. And as such, I suspect it's still spreading prolifically. So, um, are, and, and again, I want to be positive here because you're basically saying we can stem the tide, but is is the much more, hey, we're, we're the land of, of liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Is the policy right now of self-induced, I don't want to call it isolation because that's the key, people, get outside, go for walks. Is social distancing is not a draconian measure. It just means we're not going to be hanging out right next to each other, shaking hands, high five and hugging. Is that going to be enough? Or are we just delaying the inevitable? It sounds like in your opinion, we're delaying the inevitable, which would essentially potentially draw out the economic hardships as well as, um, Quite frankly, people are getting stir crazy already. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think it's all or none. I think the more we do, the more effective it'll be. And, you know, the virus will stop circulating when one of three things happens. It affects enough people where there's herd immunity and it just doesn't have enough uninfected people left to, to sustain its transmission. A vaccine becomes available or for reasons that none of us understand, Nature just decides that's enough. Goodbye, virus. Whether that's because of humidity, temperature, days of uh, hours of sunlight during the day, the, I don't let, think. Let, go ahead, Travis. 
I want to interrupt because I want to address two of those things because on my previous podcast, I, I've covered a lot of the topics that I think were top of line when this first came out. But uh, two things that uh, I, I do think are important because a vaccine is a long way off, realistically, uh, at least probably everything I've heard a year plus to make sure it's safe. But herd immunity, did you hear that Netherlands may actually purposely try to create herd immunity amongst its citizen by infecting large groups at a time. Did you hear about that? I didn't hear about that. Of course, we all know that the UK was considering just letting it play out to achieve the same effect. Um, Do you, but, but my question then is let's go next level. If we all just shut our doors and hang out inside, is there a chance that could backfire because we're not developing herd immunity and we also know, this This is going to lead to my next question, we know that viruses tend to abate in warmer weather as much as anything because people get outside and they're not, they're not in close quarters coughing on each other. Um, to, are, we, are we potentially just going to draw this out for a really long time if we don't develop some early herd immunity? And then, of course, I'm going to put you on the spot and say, like, I've been praying, please, please, warm weather, please somehow, some way help this virus be less contagious and, and help it to at least die off for the season of the, the summer. Yeah. yeah. So again, I'm going to say this is not an all or none phenomenon. I, I will, I will tongue in cheek refer to the solution of intentionally infecting people to develop herd immunity as the Thanos approach to controlling this virus. Really? We're just going to prune the trees. Is that, is that our solution from a public health standpoint? We're going to say, yeah, yeah, just give it to everybody. Yeah, if we lose 20% of the population, eh, thumbs the brakes. That's not realistic. That's not moral. That's not ethical. That's not acceptable. Certainly, you know, in the United States, you could never possibly get away, nor should you get away with such a strategy. I agree. Herd immunity, if, it, if natural immunity does in fact protect, will help us in the long run. That is not a short-term solution. But what it means is if we can quote unquote, mitigate, if we can put in social distancing, if we can put in public health measures that greatly reduce the transmission at any one time, over time, herd immunity will add on to that and could help us stop transmission. The, that leads us to the next point. We are buying time because all of us are hoping the spring and summer weather slows or stops transmission. Now, depending on who you ask, it could do that because of changes to humidity, changes to temperature, or changes to hours of sunlight. Sunlight has UV. UV may inactivate the virus. The reality is nobody knows. None of us know. The other coronaviruses that have been in human populations for millennia are seasonal. They're, in they're intensely seasonal. They all go away as we head into late spring and summer. Will this virus be like that? We don't know for sure. We certainly hope so, because if we can buy time, if we can put public health measures in place, ratchet up social distancing, even if that means shutting the country down for two or three weeks, that may be enough to get us to where the change in, in season naturally helps us decrease infections. So this isn't an all or none, I think, Travis. We have to use tap into every tool we have and hope that nature helps us as well. You know, it's interesting how when I started this podcast, the idea was that our health affects everything in society from 
pop culture, financial markets, just society in general, and now more than ever. And it's interesting, all of the unknowns. And um, I'm actually going on Fox Business because they are in the in the financial world, they are so concerned, obviously, about the economy, but there are so many unknowns. I'm going to throw out my most optimistic scenario here. And it sounds like you just laid it on the table as your own opinion, not that of your employer. But if we all chilled out for two weeks, we all actually chilled out for a few weeks so that those who are currently infected are able to get better. And then two weeks from now, we will be full bore into spring. And if there is a seasonality to this virus, and as you said, warmer weather, the UV rays help reduce transmission and infectivity, and we reemerge into society, it's not going to immediately go away. I think we all know that. But most rosy scenario, is there a chance, is there a chance that within a month, if we do these hard things now, that we could see some resemblance to normalcy like they're already seeing in China due to all of the factors of mitigation, social distancing, warmer spring weather, hard measures for a few weeks. Is there a chance or is our best case scenario that things get better June, July? And I have, a, I have personal stakes in this, Dr. Spellberg, because my wife is due in early June and uh, you know, she's the one who, beyond me being a TV guy and an ER doc, she's the one who is worried about, is this going to end up being at its worst the middle of this summer where this society in general for three months being cooped up and yet it's still bad out there? I think people will collectively lose their minds and society as we know it, it will not end, but I just don't see a scenario where this country is going to do well with three months of this. So is it possible, putting you on the spot, for your opinion, that a month from now you and I can get on the phone and say, wow, we really dodged a bullet? So three things. Number one, the one thing I can tell you for sure is if we don't do anything different than we're currently doing it, it will not be good a month from now. It will be very, very, very bad. It is time for us to really talk seriously about the measures you're talking about. Because I think what you're personally, my feeling, what you're talking about is exactly the right thing to start thinking about. The second thing is I'll add one factor to the list of potential positives. If we shut down for two or three weeks, not only will it help us bridge to where the seasons may help us, we don't know, but may, but our testing capacity will be greatly ramped up. And if the new transmissions have fallen so that the number of new cases is lower, we could go back to containment. That would allow our public health people to truly trace every single new positive patient and isolate them and all their contacts for total containment. And we'll have the testing capacity at that point to do that. So that's another benefit. The third point is this. Anyone who tells you they know what's going to happen, they might as well open a storefront window and ask if you want your palm read. Okay? No one knows. People should stop pretending they know because they don't. Nature does what nature does. The proper response to that is not helplessness. The proper response to that is to hope for the best and plan for the worst. We don't need to have perfect predictive abilities to know that we should take action. 
rather than being helpless in the face of this virus, we have brains. It doesn't. We can outsmart it, but we have to have the will to act. And now is the time. Well, I'm ready for you, Dr. Spellberg, to get in front of the nation. That was a hell of a motivational speech. <laughs> and I couldn't agree more. And I, that's why I'm so glad that we were able to talk. I, I do want to just remind everyone out there, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but for every new case, probably five to 10 right now are undetected because people are, a lot of the younger individuals out there, they're having minimal, if not, if any symptoms. And so it may be that 80% of new infections are coming from these undetected sources. That's why this importance of social distancing, because you may not have any symptoms, you might be a vector for this virus right now. So let's just say we're able to slow the, stem the tide a little bit. Vaccine, would you agree realistically with human trials, safety and effectiveness at least a year away, which will still make a huge difference, but is, is the most optimistic we could be is having a vaccine for next fall? Yes. So what about other treatments? I have obviously uh, a lot of friends in healthcare and a lot of friends who are really, really concerned about the economy and what's going to happen to uh, small mom and pop shops. Are they going to go out of business? If we cannot, if we can't support our local community, things are about to get really scary. Are we getting closer to finding a mitigating treatment? Right now, we don't really have anything other than supportive measures, oxygen. Obviously, if someone needs um, a ventilator, we, we still have enough of those right now. But do you see any hope for a treatment that we could fast track? Maybe it's something that's already approved to fight another illness where maybe a month from now, in addition to all these other measures, Dr. Spellberg, we have the ability to also, when someone comes in very ill, hey, we can, we can use oxygen. We can, if we need to, we can put you on a ventilator. But for most people, if we give them this treatment, whether it be antibodies or some other treatment, we are able to avoid these really extreme measures of intubation ventilation so we can save those for the absolute sickest patients. And we don't have such an ur urgent need for um, what will be a, a quickly diminishing supply of vents. So uh, our testing, uh, sorry, our therapeutic situation, our treatment situation is not terribly dissimilar from predictives of what's happening and what's going to happen with cases in the future. We don't know. There's a bunch of stuff that's under study. There's a bunch of stuff that are, you know, at various stages of testing. Um, I will just point out that we have very few antivirals that actually change the course of acute viral infections. We do have treatments for the flu. Those treatments decrease symptoms by one day, and they're very effective at controlling viral replication. For viral infections, most of the damage done to the body is not done by the virus. It's done by the immune response to the virus. And even if you make the virus stop replicating, it doesn't necessarily mean you will turn off that inflammation. We are going to need to see what happens with these drugs that are in testing at this moment. You did mention antibodies, uh, and that's an important point. We've been treating, human beings have been treating infections with antibodies since the 1800s. They used to immunize horses with various types of infections and take the blood from the horse, take out the antibodies, and then give the horse antibodies to people. It's called serum therapy. That is being looked at. 
We do not yet know if that will be effective. So we can, again, plan for, hope for the best, plan for the worst. That's where we're at. Well, and, and I love, at least this conversation does one thing. It lays out where we're at, where we might be headed, depending upon the measures we take now. I'm going to put you on the spot. You can hate me forever for, for doing this, but <laughs> on a scale of one to 10, and one of the things I mentioned in my last interview, it was that we have to remember, someone was asking me about when they get their mail, what do they do? Or they get their package delivered at their front door. And, and I said, look, if you want to be smart, what I'm doing right now is I'll open the package and then my wife may grab what's in the package and then I throw the package away. And I, I know a lot of people, they're afraid to even do that. And, and one of the things I've been saying is that although this concept is scary, we're not talking about the Ebola virus here. We're not talking about some of the, the viruses that have a much higher mortality rate in the coronavirus family, like SARS and MERS. On a scale of one to 10, I am putting you on the spot here. And, and would you call Ebola close to a 10? Sustained transmission of Ebola, yes. Now, the, the good thing about Ebola is if you can control it, a small number of people. Right. But yes, if you had sustained transmission of Ebola, that's your World War Z scenario. That is a 10. All right. What would you rate this coronavirus? And if you want to have other scales, you could rate if you want to, you know, SARS, MERS on these scales, because I am trying to put this in perspective for people. I am. I'm whether it be friends, family, um, patients, viewers, listeners, everyone does have to put this all in perspective. This is not going to be the end of the world. This virus, although it is, it's contagious in vulnerable populations, it can cause a lot of harm, pneumonia, in some cases, even death. But in a world where, in a country where we have 300 plus million people and every year uh, around 3 million people are dying, there are more people have died of a heart attack probably since we started talking than you know what I mean. It's it's on a scale of one to ten. Where would you rate this virus as an infectious diseases doctor in terms of how much you're afraid of it and 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 its lethality? How much I'm personally afraid of it? A four. How okay. much I'm afraid of it for its ability to create to create mass is sort of chaos across the globe economically and in terms of people's lives. Higher than that, a seven or an eight. The reality is. This is a once-in-a-century event. And if we act swiftly now, we believe, we hope, at the, along the lines of, that you've just laid out, Travis, we hope we can bend that curve so that people look back on it and go, wow, it was bad, but we really missed the, you know, the 1918-1919 flu pandemic that killed 100 million people. Yeah, we don't want to be there. We want to look back on this one, two years from now and go, wow, that could have been an 1819 event. It wasn't. We acted. The positive thing that could come out of this is that this virus has taught all of us we are in a global world. One thing that happens in one part of the world can affect everybody. Global warming, you know, fiscal irresponsibility so that you are not prepared at a government level to handle the economic chaos. These are lessons that we can take away from this virus to make us stronger 
as a people, you know, in our society and globally as we go forward, if we choose to act and if we choose to learn these lessons. And you said it perfectly. We do control the future here if we act and we act now. And if we act now and we do it appropriately, there's going to be this short-term hardship. I'm going to throw out there, you mentioned a few weeks. If we can commit to this for a few weeks and come out the other side, best case scenario, I think we still should and can be optimistic. And I think this is going to go down and we're going to look back at history and say, wow, Americans came together like never before in the most divided time, I believe, in the history of our country, at least since I've been alive. And we, with health as the number one goal, which we all have in common, my health, your health, everyone's health, we all come together for the collective good. We can stem the tide here. Um, Dr. Spellberg, I can't tell you how much I've always appreciated your opinion, your thoughts. And again, these are just your opinions and thoughts. They are just my opinions and thoughts. We could be back on the phone here in one month and be completely wrong in every respect. We just don't know. But what we do know is what we can do right now. And I think that's the takeaway from today's podcast. Uh, Dr. Spellberg, a great clinician, but I also just have to throw it out there. A great orator as well. (laughs) You're ready. Do you give a lot of speeches? (laughs) Well, I've done a lot of talks, Travis, and I'm always happy to talk to you because you know what? You You bring a sense of sanity and balance that is sorely needed at this moment in time more than anything else. Well, sometimes I, I think I was put on this earth initially to be an ER doctor. And as you know, you see so much chaos in the ER. It's a skill you have to develop in the ER. And now it's at least to some extent, hopefully something that I can can share with the greater public. But hey, if if you're willing, as things play out here uh, and, and we need to do an update at some point, I, I'd, I'd love to, if possible, get you back on the podcast. Hopefully we won't need to. You know, hopefully a month from now, the coronavirus will still be something we are worried about, but not hysterically worried about. But I'll, um, you, you know, know let's what? keep in touch. I'd love to do that podcast too, right? Let's, let's, what did we learn from this? Because it got better because we acted. That would be a wonderful podcast to do. And I would enjoy doing that too. Well, maybe in a month from now, we'll, we'll do this again and we'll see where we're at. And uh, yeah, hopefully, let's go, let's go optimistic here. Uh, Dr. Brad Spellberg, folks. Thanks so much, Brad. Thank you, Travis. All right. Bye. Bye. The Doctors Podcast with Travis Stork is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional.